Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Tony Rikers. I finish off our last lecture by offering a $100,000 reward for anyone who could find in the Seminar Bible where the Sabbath was changed into Sunday. Now, nobody has come to me trying to claim the reward, and I'm thankful for that because the reality is that Cornerstone Ministries doesn't have two brass razors to rub together to pay you your $100,000 reward. And you may think to yourself, well, why did you offer the reward? I offered that reward, friends, because I knew that nobody would come forward and claim that $100,000 reward because there is no text in the Bible that tells us that the Sabbath has been changed into Sunday. There is no text. But to make sure you know that, before we go into our topic tonight, I'm going to go through every verse in the Bible that talks about the first day of the week. Now, remember, the Bible doesn't use the word Sunday. It uses the word first day for the for the, uh, the Sunday, every verse that talks about the first day of the week, just to show you that there is no verse that talks about the Sabbath being changed into Sunday because there's a couple of these verses that I thought that somebody might have come to me with trying to claim their $100,000 reward. Let's have a look at these verses on the screen. The first verse is Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. It says, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Here we simply find the historical account of the first day of creation week, nothing to do with the change of the Sabbath. The second one is Matthew 28 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. As it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. This is a simple historical fact of Jesus rising on resurrection morning on Easter Sunday as the Christian world calls it we find the uh, the ladies go down to the tomb to embalm the body of Christ on the first day of the week Sunday and of course Jesus wasn't there our third text is Mark 16 2 and very early in the morning the first day of the week they came under the sepulcher at the rising of the sun once again this is just resurrection morning on Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead, the first day of the week. No change of the Sabbath here. The fourth one is Mark 16, verse 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Once again, on resurrection morning, the Bible simply tells us here that Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene on the first day of the week. Nothing about the Sabbath. The fifth one is Luke 24, verse 1. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came under the sepulchre. All these texts are exactly the same accounts, just from different Gospels of the same event of Jesus rising from the dead on the first day of the week, Sunday. Our sixth one is John 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre. Once again, nothing about a change of the Sabbath, the same historical account of the disciples coming to the tomb early in the morning to embalm the body of Christ, and of course he's not there, he's risen from the dead. Now the seventh one is one that sometimes people think, well, maybe there was a change of the Sabbath in this text. John 20 verse 19 tells us this, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, 
came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Now, sometimes people think, here, this could be a text. Here we find the disciples on the first day of the week, on Sunday, they are assembled together. <clears throat> and people sometimes think, well, maybe they're having a church service. The Sabbath must have been changed. But we find that this particular day is the same day as Jesus rose from the dead. And we have to ask ourselves the question here, why were the Jews, why were the, uh, the disciples assembled? They were assembled, the Bible tells us, for fear of the Jews. The reason why they were assembled together is because they were hiding for fear of the Jews because a few days before they saw their Lord and Master crucified and they thought they were next. They weren't coming together for a church service on Sunday, friends. They were hiding because they were fearful of the Jews that they might find themselves crucified next. The next verse is 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 to 2. This is our eighth verse of 9. This is also one that people come along sometimes and they say, well, maybe the Bible here is indicating that the Sabbath was changed to Sunday, the first day of the week. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints, not of the saints, but for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Now, people sometimes think, well, here it is. It's the first day of the week, Sunday, and there's a, there's a gathering here. So it must be a church service, and they're gathering some funds, offering the plate around. That's not what the verse is talking about, friends. This is talking about a famine that was taking place back in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 11, we find in verse 27 and 29 that there was a famine in Jerusalem that Paul was given the job to collect food to relieve the suffering of the people of God back in Jerusalem. We find that he is now writing to the church at Corinth saying, when I come through on the first day of the week, get yourselves organized, get your food prepared as God has blessed you. So when I come through, there'll be no gatherings when I come. In other words, so you're all organized so that when I come, I can grab it all and I can keep going to relieve the suffering down in Jerusalem. Nothing to do with the church service. In fact, this verse also indicates to us that they were still keeping the seventh-day Sabbath because on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, they were to get themselves organized and get their things gathered together. That was work. They were still keeping the Sabbath, and Paul says, as soon as Sabbath's finished, on the first day of the week, you get yourself organized, prepare your stuff, so when I come, I can get it all, and I can move on. That's what he's simply saying in that particular verse. And our last verse, talking about the first day of the week, is Acts 20, verse 7 and 8. And the Bible says, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Now, people look at this verse and they say, well, must, it must be telling us that the disciples now kept Sunday as a Sabbath because they're gathering together on the first day of the week to break bread. If you go into this particular story in Acts chapter 20, you find this particular story is not written to teach us that the Sabbath was changed into Sunday. The whole issue of this particular story is a boy by the name of Eutychus who fell out of the window when Paul preached until midnight and Paul went down and raised him from the dead. And if you go into this particular story, you'll find that Paul preached until midnight. They came together on the first day of the week, but Paul preached until midnight. Now, what do you find taking place here? If you go into 
what the Sabbath is all about and when the Sabbath starts and finishes, you'll find the Sabbath starts and finishes. It starts on Friday evening when the sun goes down and it finishes on Saturday evening when the sun goes down. Now we find the disciples have gathered themselves together. This is really not Sunday night. It's actually Saturday night in the Jewish language. They've come together. They've gathered together to break bread because on the morrow, the next morning, Sunday morning, as we would call it, Paul's about to depart. And these believers, these disciples of Christ, were never to see Paul again. This was their last meeting together. That's why he preached until midnight. And, of course, preaching so long, poor old Eutychus got tired. He fell out of the window, and he found himself dead. Now, just because they came together to break bread doesn't mean it was a religious service. It could have been. It doesn't mean the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday. Because we find the disciples also in the early church broke bread daily together. Notice this text in Acts chapter 2 verse 46. It says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They broke bread daily from house to house. Does that mean the Sabbath now is on every day of the week because they broke bread together? You know, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the Thursday night, they broke bread. Because they broke bread together, friends, doesn't mean the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday because they broke bread every day of the week. And it was actually on Saturday night after the Sabbath had finished. Now, these are the only texts in the Bible that refer to the first day of the week. There's no text in the entire Word of God that tells us or even indicates to us that the Sabbath was to be changed from Saturday into Sunday there is no text in the Bible if God was going to change his law that he wrote with his own finger on tables of stone wouldn't you think he would make it very plain in his word a few years ago in Australia they decided to change the speed limit in suburban areas in some areas from 60 down to 50 and when they decided to do this there was massive advertising campaigns in newspapers billboards television internet to make sure everybody knew that the law was going to be changed from 60 down to 50. And friends, wouldn't you think it strange that if God changed his law, that he hasn't plainly told us about that in his word, that we have to find some ambiguous verse of scripture in the Bible and cryptically try and work out, hey, the Sabbath must have been changed into Sunday. If God was going to change his law, friends, he would make that very, very clear. But the Bible tells us, I am the Lord thy God, I change not. God is not going to change what he writ, wrote in stone with his own finger. It's there for eternity. God does not make mistakes. There is no verse in the Bible. The Sabbath has not been changed into Sunday. And we have to now ask ourselves the question then, well, where did Sunday come from? Why do the majority of the Christian world now break the Sabbath and keep Sunday instead? We now need to go into our topic tonight, which is called 666 and the mark of the beast to find this out. What does the number 666 represent? What is the mark of the beast? You know, some people get the idea, they get confused, and they think if they, as they read the Bible that the number 666 actually is the mark of the beast, but we find that the number 666 is not the mark of the beast. It is the number of the beast. Notice the verse in Revelation chapter 13, verse 18, where this comes from. It says, Here is wisdom. Let him who hath understanding calculate the number of the beast. 
for it is the number of a man, his number is 666. So here we find the Bible's giving us a challenge in some ways. It says, here, here is wisdom. Let him that has wisdom, in other, in other words, he who has understanding, calculate the number of the beast, not the mark of the beast, but the number of the beast, for it's a number of a man, his number is 666. You see, friends, what we find taking place here is God is giving us another identifying mark to identify who the beast power is. Now, we know who the beast power is of Revelation chapter 13. We discovered there on night number five that it is the Roman system. This is the beast power. We've discovered that already. What God is going to do now is add one more identifying mark to our 12 and give us 13 to help us be concrete and sure that this is the power that he is identifying. How does the number 666 tie in to the Roman system? You know, each one of us, for some reason, when we went to school, we learnt Roman numerals. Now, I don't know why we learnt Roman numerals. When I was growing up in, in uh, school and doing my math class, and I'd, why are we learning Roman numerals? We live in Australia. We're English. We're not Roman. We don't live in the old Latin world. But we all learnt Roman numerals, and I believe we learnt Roman numerals for a good reason, because God wanted us to be able to calculate the number of the beast. Because the official language of Rome is Latin, isn't it? The official language of the Roman Catholic Church is Latin. It was only up until a, f a couple of decades ago that they were still saying the Mass in every country in Latin. Now, the number 666 ties in to the mark of the beast. Not the mark of the beast, the identifying of the beast. And we find, as we go into the Roman numerals, and we look at the number 666, we find it ties in and identifies the Roman Catholic Church again. Let's have a look at this. Does the number 666 line up with the name of the man who is the head of the Roman Catholic Church? The Pope, of course it does. The official title of the Pope is Vicarius Filii Dei. Now, a Catholic journal wrote this response to a question in our Sunday Visitor, April 18, 1915. I want you to get it from their lips, not from mine. This is the question that was asked. It says, what are the letters inscribed in the Pope's crown? And what do they signify, if anything? The letters inscribed in the Pope's mitre are these. This was the answer. Vicarius Filii Dei, which is Latin for Vicar of the Son of God. So the Catholic Church itself tells us in the Pope's mitre is written the words Vicarius Filii Dei, which is the official title of the Pope, which means in Latin, Vicar of the Son of God. Now, when you learn about Roman numerals, you find in the Latin language, the alphabet, the letters of the alphabet also have numerical value. And if we take the official title of the Pope of Rome, Vicar of the Son of God, and we put that in Latin as it is written, and we add up the numerical value of those letters, we find something very interesting. The Vicar of the Son of God, Vicarius Filii Dei. Let's have a look at the word Vicarius and add up the Roman numerals and see what we come to. V equals 5, I equals 1, C equals 100, A and R have no value, I equals 1, U equals 5, S has no value. This equals 112. Filii, F equals 0, 
I equals 1, L equals 50, I equals 1, I equals 1. This gives us 53. And day I, D equals 500, E equals 0, and I equals 1. This gives us 501. If we add 501 and 53 and 112, we come to the total amount of 666. The Bible is giving us another identifying mark to identify the beast. Remember, the Bible said it's the number of the beast, not the mark of the beast, but the number of the beast. In other words, it's another identifying mark to help us understand who this particular power is. All the other identifying marks that God gave us from Revelation 13 and Daniel chapter 7 are now just sealed with this one mark of 666. It's like if I give you directions to my house. And I say, if you want to come to my house, you go along such and such a highway, you turn left at the pub and you go along such and such a road, and you go into such and such a street, and you look for a tractor on the corner, and when you see that tractor, you turn left, and you go up such and such a road, and you drive two kilometers along that road until you come to a house with a red roof, and the number of the house is number 948. I've given you all these different directions to work out where I am and to seal it all, I give you the number so you can't get lost. And God has given us all these identifying marks to give us the directions to work out who this power is and he finally gives us a number, the number 666, that we had to look at the head of the Catholic Church to find and we find Vicarius Filii Dei on the Pope's crown, Vicar of the Son of God, and it lines up to 666. Six, six. Friends, there is no doubt that this power that God is trying to reveal to us is none other than the Roman system. Now, if the number 666 is not the mark of the beast, well, what then is the mark of the beast? You know, in the Christian world today, there's lots of speculation about what the mark of the beast is going to be. As I mentioned in one of our previous lectures, people come to me and they say, I believe the mark of the beast is this, and I believe the mark of the beast is that. And the first question we have to ask ourselves is, do you know who the beast is? Because it's the mark of the beast. And I've never come across one person yet that says, yes, I know what the beast is, and this is the mark. They all seem to know what the mark is, but they can't work out what the beast is. Well, friends, if you can't work out what the beast is, how on earth do you ever think you're going to work out what the mark of the beast is? Because the mark is something that links you back in worship to the beast. Some people have come along and they've said, listen, I believe the mark of the beast is the barcode. You know, many Christians back in the 70s when the barcode started coming out was the barcode is the mark of the beast. Don't buy anything with a barcode on it. If you do, you'll receive the mark of the beast. And of course, today, if you didn't buy anything with a barcode on it, you'd be starving to death within a matter of a couple of weeks because everything has a barcode. You can't even buy a brand new car without there being a barcode on the, on the car somewhere. There is... Barcodes on everything. The barcode, friend, is not the mark of the beast. Some people said, listen, the computer chip, it's going to be the mark of the beast. Don't get involved in, involved in computer chips. Some said smart cards and credit cards, that'll be the mark of the beast. They'll stop us from buying and selling. We can't buy and sell. Don't get involved with smart cards and credit cards. Others have said, listen, the mark of the beast is vein scanning and iris scanning. You know, today there's technology where they can scan your eye. Your eye is a bit like your thumbprint. Is, our, our, the print of our eye is all unique. Not one of us on this earth have the same. And they can scan our eye. And when we go through a machine, it will recognize who we are. And people think 
It's going to be vein scanning on our, the palm of our hand or, or eye scanning because it's near our forehead where the mark of the beast is placed and, and the, the veins are on our hands because the mark of the beast is placed in the forehead or on the hand. But there's one trouble with that, friends. If the mark of the beast is vein scanning of our hand or our iris scanning of our eyes, the trouble is we already all have the mark of the beast because we all have our hands, unless we've cut them off, and we all have our eyes, don't we, friends? So that means we've already got the mark of the beast. Friends, the mark of the beast is not going to be technology. Technology will be used, I believe, to enforce the mark of the beast, not being able to buy and sell. But the mark of the beast is not technology. What is then the mark of the beast? Let's have a look at a few identifying points that we've come across in our study so far. Some, there's four identifying points here that lead us in a direction to help us understand what the mark of the beast is. The first one is this. It is the mark of the beast, the papacy, the papal system. So in other words, it's the mark of the beast. In other words, it comes from the papacy somewhere. It's something that comes from the papacy that links you back to the worship of their system. It's the mark of this beast power. The second point is it's opposite to the seal of God, a counterfeit. Now, we discovered last night that the seal of God is his seventh-day Sabbath. The mark of the beast and the seal of God are in contention, in competition with each other at the end of time. Therefore, the mark of the beast must be somewhere, somehow, opposite to the seal of God as a counterfeit. The third point is this. The mark of the beast, it is opposed to the law of God and it involves breaking it. You may remember the verse from last night, Revelation 14, verse 12, where God points to a group of people who are the ones that don't receive the mark of the beast. And he says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The ones who get the seal of God keep the commandments. So in contrast to that, the ones who receive the mark of the beast must be breaking the commandments. And the fourth point is that the whole issue is about worship. Revelation 13, several times, and they worship the beast, and they worship the dragon, and they worship the beast, and they worship the beast. The whole issue is about worship, friends. The mark of the beast has something to do with the issue of worship. If I was to ask you the question tonight, what is the highest form of worship you can give? Because when people talk about worshipping the beast, they all picture the whole world bowing down to some power or some, some man. The highest form of worship that you can give, this is how the world will worship the beast, the highest form of worship you can give is your obedience. We have churches around the world today that are all, praise the Lord, hallelujah, we're all worshipping God in the spirit, while at the same time they disobey the commandments of God. Your highest form of worship, dear Christian, is that you are obeying God in the ways he wants you to walk. It doesn't mean you feel good in your life and in your heart. It means you, are, means you are obedient to God. That is the highest form of worship. And we are told in the scriptures that the entire world is going to worship and follow the papal system. In other words, they are going to obey this system. This is what the mark of the beast is really all about. Well, what is the mark of the beast? What is the mark of the papal authority? What does the Roman Catholic Church claim is the sign of its own authority? Notice what this text tells us on the screen here, this statement. Sunday is our mark of authority. 
The church is above the Bible and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of the fact and any Protestant who keeps Sunday acknowledges this. You see, friends, this is where it becomes very interesting. Last night, you probably thought at the end of our lecture on the seal of God and the Sabbath, you probably thought, well, what does it really matter? Who cares? Saturday, Sunday, it really isn't a big deal. It becomes a big deal tonight because the Roman Catholic Church is the church that claims unequivocally that they are the ones that changed the Sabbath. They say Sunday is our mark of authority. We are the ones that change the Sabbath into Sunday. It's the mark of our authority to change the law of God. Another statement here says, of course the Catholic Church claims the change was her act and the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. It's from the famous Cardinal Gibbons. Another statement here from a Catholic catechism. Question, how do you prove that the church has power to, to command feasts and holy days? Answer, by the very act of changing the Sabbath into Sunday, which Protestants allow of, and therefore they co fondly contradict themselves by keeping Sunday strictly. Here we find the Catholic church is saying to the, to the world and the, and the Christian world at large, a Protestant world, saying, you are contradicting yourself by keeping Sunday because we change the Sabbath into Sunday and if you want to follow the Bible and the Bible only as a rule of faith you need to go back and keep Saturday the seventh day of the week as a Sabbath because Sunday is our mark of authority you're following our mark you're following our power you're following our authority by keeping Sunday because we are the ones that changed it how did the change from Sabbath to Sunday actually occur how did this take place we find as we go back into history, there are three major steps to Sunday. The first major step to changing the Sabbath into Sunday came with a man by the name of Constantine. He was the emperor of Rome at the time. He became a professed Christian and he made the first Sunday law in 321 AD to help bind the Roman Empire together as it's beginning to crumble and fall apart. He was a pagan worshipper. He became a Christian and decided to bring Sunday worship into the Christian church because Sunday was the official day of sun worship in the pagan Roman Empire. And if we get the Christians to worship on Sunday and the pagans to worship on Sunday, we can bring them all together and have some peace and harmony in this empire. And in 321, Constantine wrote this law. On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest and let all workshops be closed. This is our first step in making Sunday sacred rather than Saturday, the seventh day of the week, as the Sabbath. The second step to Sunday sacredness comes with Bishop or Pope Sylvester in 325 AD. Now, this is only a couple of years after, four years after, Constantine's law. In the, in the year 325, Sylvester, Bishop of Rome, officially changed the title of the first day, calling it the Lord's Day. And that's where your Lord's Day comes from, friends. The changing of the title of Sunday into the Lord's Day came from Pope Sylvester in 325 AD. Now, a few years later, 11 years to be exact, we find the Roman Catholic Church itself now changes officially the Sabbath from Sunday, from Saturday to Sunday. 
in the council of Laodicea. Notice this statement. Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday, but shall work on that day. But the Lord's Day, of course, which was just changed by Pope Sylvester 11 years beforehand, which is now Sunday, but the Lord's Day they shall especially honour. And as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing or keeping the Sabbath as the Jews do, they shall be shut out from Christ. So here we find the Sabbath was officially changed in the Council of Laodicea by the Roman Catholic Church with the law that they passed there that the Christians shall not keep Sabbath anymore like the Jews. They shall keep Sunday, the Lord's Day, as a day of rest and worship. And catechisms down through the ages have told us that the Catholic Church themselves tell us that they changed the Sabbath into Sunday at the Council of Laodicea. Notice this catechism here. Question, which is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Now notice this answer. We observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church in the Council of Laodicea transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Friends, they tell us loud and clear that they are the ones that changed the Sabbath to Sunday. What is Sunday, really? If we go back into history, you find all the ancient pagan religions of the world, Babylon, Greece, Rome, Persian Empire, the Egyptians, they all worshipped nature. And one of the chief gods of all of these empires and many others was the sun god. You see, in the pagan world, Sunday was a day of worship of the sun. But now through the Roman Catholic Church, through Constantine and an amalgamation of paganism and Christianity, many pagan practices came into the so-called Catholic, into the so-called Christian church and have been brought into the church as Christian teachings when their roots and their origins are way back there in paganism. Sunday is one of those days. Sun worship, holy water, the mass, idols, monks, rosary bees, praying to the dead, the tonsure, the mitres, the cross, nuns, pontiffs, the candles, purgatory, limbo, the wafer, works, indulgences, all these things came into the Catholic system the Roman system and they came from paganism friends there's nothing in the word of God that talks about any of these practices they all came through the Roman system pagan Roman system into the papal Roman system notice this other statement that is made here just to seal this point question how do you prove that the church has power to institute festivals Answer, had she not such power, she could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. They tell us loud and clear, friends, that they have changed the Sabbath to Sunday. Now, you may remember back on night number five, we talked about the Antichrist power of Bible prophecy. One of the identifying marks of this particular power was that this power would do what? Think to change times and laws. Let's look at this verse again in Daniel 7 verse 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. He's going to persecute the people of God, blaspheme the Most High, and he's going to change his law, try to change his laws. How? 
Has the papacy changed the law of God? Well, we saw there on night five that the papacy changed the law of God by removing the second commandment, dealing with idols, split the last one into two, so we still have our ten. But the Bible tells us here it would change the times and the law. Where in the law of God has the papacy changed the time? What commandment in God's law deals with time? Friends, it's the fourth commandment. It's the Sabbath commandment. It deals with time. The papacy decided to change the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, and it changed it into the first day of the week. And this is another place in the law of God where they have altered God's law. Friends, as we look at this particular power, as we look at the identifying marks of the Bible, it fits to a T. They have changed the law of God. They have changed the time in the law of God. And they boldly proclaim to the world, we have changed the Sabbath into Sunday. It's a mark of our authority if you're keeping that particular day. Not in the Bible, not a command of Christ or the early disciples, but by the church's own power, we have changed it. You see, friends, the Antichrist power has been at work. We learned there in Revelation chapter 13 that the dragon, which was Satan, wasn't it, gave this power his seat and great authority. You see, friends, Satan was working through this particular power to continue that war that he began in heaven against the government of God and the law of God, to try to chip out those commandments, to change them, to alter them around, and to deceive mankind into breaking God's commandments and to keep the commandments of men. And we have seen tonight that this has taken place right there in the Catholic system. Another statement there says, the church could therefore not be bound to the authority of the scriptures because the church had changed the Sabbath into Sunday, not by the command of Christ, but by its own authority. Now, does Sunday fit the identifying marks of the mark of the beast? Does it fit? One, it defines the authority of the papacy. They are saying it's our authority. We've changed it. If you're following our Sabbath, you're on our side. If you're a Protestant and you want to follow the Bible and the Bible alone, you go back to the Bible and you keep Saturday as the Sabbath. It defines the authority of the papacy. Point two, it's a, it is opposite the seal of God, a counterfeit. It is, friends. The seal of God is God's seventh-day Sabbath. This is the counterfeit Sunday. Point three, it is opposed to the law of God. It involves breaking it. And it does, friends. You cannot change the Sabbath. The Sabbath is on Saturday, the seventh day of the week, and the Catholic Church has changed it, which now means if you are keeping Sunday, you're breaking God's commandments. Now, many people around the world in the Christian circles don't realize that they're doing this, but the reality is it involves breaking the commandments of God. That's why in Revelation chapter 7, when that seal was going forward and the angel cried out to the four angels holding the winds of strife, hold back the winds of strife, until we've sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. You see, friends, there's thousands of Christians around this world right now tonight that have no idea where Sunday came from. And God wants to put that seal, that truth into their minds, into their hearts. He wants to get that warning to them, don't worship the beast, don't receive the mark of the beast, don't get involved in this system. And God is revealing to us tonight that that beast is the Roman system, that the mark is Sunday, and God is calling us to come back to first angel's message to the worship of the true God, the one that created heaven, earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. That is the call of God tonight. 
But the reality is, it is opposite. It is opposed to the law of God, and it involves breaking it. That's why Revelation 14, 12, God points to his people and he says, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Not nine commandments, friends. They keep the whole ten in their lives. And our fourth point, it's all about worship. The Sabbath day, friends, is all about worship. That is why God says it's a sign, it's a seal between me and my people that they are worshipping me. Now, do Sunday keepers have the mark of the beast now? This is a very important question because there's many people out there tonight listening to this lecture thinking, I keep Sunday. Do you have the mark of the beast? Friends, you don't have the mark of the beast now. Let me explain why. The mark of the beast will become a serious issue in the very near future because the mark of the beast is going to be enforced on the world. There's two reasons why you don't have the mark of the beast now. Acts 17, verse 30, the Bible tells us, At the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. When we are living in ignorance and breaking God's law or doing something wrong in our life, God winks at that. God will not judge and condemn us for something we did not know. But when the light comes, friends, God commands all men everywhere now to repent. You've never heard of the Sabbath. You've never heard of the issue. But now light has come into your life. You've seen the issues. God now expects you to keep his seventh day Sabbath holy. We cannot disobey the commandments of God and continue our relationship with him when the light comes. And the second reason really is this. The issue with the mark is forced worship. When it is forced on the world, it will be the mark of the beast in a serious way. Because the Bible's telling us in the very near future that the world will be forced to keep Sunday as a day of rest and worship. And Satan's going to try and get you and I and the entire world to be breaking God's law. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 13 verse 16. And he causes all both small and and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark. In the future, Sunday will be exalted around the world. There will be a push for the world to keep Sunday as that day of rest and worship. And for those who don't want to go along with that system, you won't be able to buy and sell. The Bible is telling us that you and I will find ourselves in a time in the very near future where you'll be forced to have Sunday as a day of rest and worship, whether you like it or not. And this will link us back to the papacy because the foundation of Sunday comes back to the papacy. It's the mark of their authority, they tell us. You know, friends, at this point of our lecture, you may be thinking to yourself, well, Tony, I think you've gone crazy. Are you telling me that the mark of the beast is Sunday, that one day in the future... It's going to be forced on the world as a law. And if we don't go along with it, we can't buy and sell. And eventually the Bible says there'll be a death decree. Friends, that's exactly what I'm saying. You know, back in the days of Noah, Noah preached for 120 years. It was going to rain. The world would be flooded. And people laughed, they mocked, they scorned. They said, this man's crazy. But friends, it came to pass. We learn on night one, friends, when God speaks, when God prophesies, when God tells us what will happen, it will come to pass. And the question we must ask ourselves tonight is this. Is there a push by the world and the papacy today to exalt Sunday? Because we have found in our previous lectures, we are at the end of time. 
We should be expecting this sort of thing to take place in the very near future. And for that to take place, we should be seeing around the world a push to exalt Sunday as a day of rest or a day of worship. Do we see that taking place in our world today? Let me give you a little glimpse of some of the headlines that I've seen around the world in my studies, in newspapers and so forth. April 4, 1998, the city of Bendigo held a Sunday law referendum supported by Roman Catholic, Anglican, Presbyterian and Uniting Church. March 1998, the Netherlands Council of Churches promoted a petition to the government pushing for the enactment of Sunday legislation. On March 1, 1998, the Nebraska State Senate debated Sunday legislation. April 1, 1997, Pakistan, a nation of 120 million Muslims, altered its rest day from Friday to Sunday. And this was quite an amazing event because we find here, in the Muslim world, Friday is the holy day. And we find here that the nation of Pakistan decided to go from Friday to Sunday. Why? The reason why this took place was because when they closed everything down on Friday, they began to realize they couldn't compete and trade with the world. The stock markets and the trades of the world were still going Friday. And when it got to Sunday, they were all shut down. But these guys in Pakistan, they shut down on Friday and they missed that day of trade. And of course, when they got to Sunday, well, the rest of the world was shut down. So they changed their holy day from Friday to Sunday. In 1998, Norway, with bipartisan political support, enacted a Sunday rest day. Sunday rest will force workers to their knees. Millions of Europeans could lose the right to work on Sundays and thousands more face the sack if EC bureaucrats succeed in making the seventh day one of compulsory rest. Germany plans to make Sunday the official day of rest for the EC's 320 million citizens. French government enforces Sunday rest. Thou shalt not shop on Sunday. French courts have ruled that the Louis Vuitton flagship store must remain closed on Sunday in accordance with the law. Pope launches crusade to save Sunday. Make it clear that Sunday must not be worked since it must be celebrated as the day of our Lord. Another one here from the Pope. The Detroit News. Pope's call for worship welcomed. It says at the end of this uh, particular article here, he's calling for the Catholics to stop playing games on Sunday and worship God, and he's calling for the world to do the same thing. But he says at the end of this, the article goes on to say this, in his letter, the Pope goes on to say a violator should be punished as a heretic. Friends, there's a push around our world today to exalt Sunday. Sunday, my friends, the Bible's telling us, will come to the front. The world will be pushed into a corner to keep it by law. A little while ago, in fact, it was about six months ago, this one came out up on the Sunshine Coast in Australia. Sacred Sunday, why churches are demanding a day of rest for families. Another one from the papacy here, from, the, from Pope, Pope John Paul II. He said this, therefore, now notice these words, therefore, also in the particular circumstances of our own time, Christians will naturally strive to ensure that civil legislation 
respects their duty to keep Sunday holy. Civil legislation, friends, is an enactment of laws that forces us to keep Sunday. God doesn't force worship, friends. If you want to worship God tonight, he will accept your worship lovingly. But he will never force you to worship him with civil legislation. God doesn't work that way. He asks us to freely come. What about Pope Benedict XVI, our newest pope? Pope's plea for religious Sundays. Pope Benedict, Benedict XVI called for the rediscovery of the religious meaning of Sundays as an antidote to the rampant consumerism and religious indifference that was making the modern world a spiritual desert. What about this one from America? Because Sunday is the Sabbath of the majority in our land, it has been nationally and has been nationally established as a day of worship. It is the day all should be compelled to observe as the Lord's day. We further emphasize that it becomes a duty of the government to enforce the observation of the day. That was from back in 1983. It's a little bit older, but the point is around the world, there's a thought, there's a principle, there's the idea that people have that we need to get back to Sunday and exalt Sunday as a day of worship, as a day of rest in our society. How does technology fit into this big picture, friends? Because most Christians believe that technology will be the mark of the beast. A computer chip stuck under our arm or eye scanning or credit cards. Technology isn't the mark of the beast, friends, but technology will be used to enforce the mark of the beast. Because the Bible says for those who don't receive the mark, they won't be able to buy and sell. And with our modern technology, it would be very easy to control the buying and the selling. Right now, friends, you can go up to your local bank and you can put in your ATM card to get your cash out. If they push a button on the inside of that bank and delete your account, you will get no money out of that account. Technology will be used to enforce the mark of the beast, but, friends, it's not the mark of the beast. The end-time scenario is really this, the law of God versus the law of man. It's a culmination of the great controversy that began way back up there in heaven with Lucifer when he tried to take over the throne of God and set up his own laws. It's the same principle right down at the end of time. The law of God versus the law of man. And the famous Cardinal Gibbons had this to say. This summarizes our whole lecture tonight. He says, Reason and sense demand the acceptance of one or the other of these alternatives. Either Protestantism and the keeping holy of Saturday, or Catholicity, and the keeping holy of Sunday, compromise is impossible. And friends, that's the reality of this whole picture. Sunday links you back to the Roman system. The Sabbath links you to the Creator God. Compromise is impossible. And as Cardinal Gibbon says, you and I have to make a decision where we stand. At the end of time, God's going to bring this world to a point where they have to make a decision, is it going to be the God of heaven or is it going to be the gods of this world? There'll be just two groups and God gives us a choice, the false Sabbath or the true Sabbath and the reality is what will you choose in your life? Jesus simply says to us tonight, friends, in John 14 verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. God is calling for us tonight to change our lives, to bring our lives in accordance with his word. If we are a devoted Christian following God and love him and want to serve him and we've discovered new truth tonight, I want to encourage you, friends, 
to take a hold of the Sabbath. Try it out. It's one of the biggest blessings that you will ever find. One of the biggest blessings I have in my own family life and my own personal life is on the seventh day of the week when it comes around that I can worship God, that I don't work. I can pull out of the busyness of life and take time to be with my family, take time to be with God and to be with God's people worshiping him. Take that change into your life. You'll find it will be a very positive change in your life. Our next meeting is entitled The USA and the New World Order. The USA and the New World Order. Who is the second beast of Revelation 13? Who is the false prophet? And how will they enforce the mark of the beast? We've learned tonight that the mark of the beast will be forced on the world. And you think, well, how is it going to be forced on the world? Tomorrow night, we're going to find out God reveals to us another power, and that power will be the power that will push the world to worship the papacy and the mark of the beast. This message was made available by Cornerstone Ministries. For more resources like this, visit cornerstone-ministries.org. You've been listening to Go Teach All Nations here on 3ABN Australia Radio. Mm-hmm.
Enjoy the short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. In 1529, the Second Diet of Spires convened right here. The first was in 1526, which gave each state full liberty in religious affairs. In 1529, all the German princes gathered here, along with representatives of the church. The church's desire was to crush out the heresy of the Reformation, first by peaceable means, but using full force if needed. One thing that was proposed was a halt on conversions. The states that sided with the Reformation would stay that way, and the ones that did not would stay as they were. If this edict was to be enforced, then the Reformation could not be extended where it was not yet known. Neither could it be established on a solid foundation where it had started. The key issue at stake was liberty of conscience. As they met to discuss what they would do with this proposal, key issues for the world lay on the table. Did Rome have the right to coerce conscience and forbid free inquiry? As they looked back at the recent history and saw the great sacrifice that many had made to get to this point, and they contrasted this with the major restriction on civil liberties that was proposed, the princes said, let us reject this decree. In matters of conscience, the majority has no power. They saw the state's role was to protect liberty of conscience and that this was also the limit of its role in religious matters. 
In their response, they used the word protest. And it's from here where we get the term Protestantism today. But it's important for us to understand the background of that term to know what a Protestant truly is. They said that the principles contained in this protest contained the essence of Protestantism. They opposed the abuse of man in two areas of faith. Firstly, the intrusion of the civil magistrate, and secondly, the arbitrary authority of the church. Instead of this, Protestantism puts the power of the conscience above the civil magistrate and the authority of God's word over the visible church. They rejected civil power in divine things, encouraging people, as in the book of Acts, to obey God rather than men. They understood that it was the role of the state to protect civil liberties and not to prescribe religious actions to the masses. In our day and age, there is a wide departure from this great Protestant principle, the Bible and the Bible only as the rule of faith and duty. There is a need for us to have the same unswerving adherence to the Word of God as was manifested at this crisis of the Reformation. Had these princes buckled under pressure and sought to enjoy the success they had achieved thus far in order to secure favor with the authorities, the movement would have been destroyed. They understood that there were greater issues at hand and believers around the world since that time have enjoyed the benefits of their resolute stand. While the name of Martin Luther is well known throughout the world and the name of these princes is much less known, their place in history is nonetheless vital. May we truly understand what it means to be a Protestant, the authority of God's word and the power of the conscience in religious matters. more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.